The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Let me start by reading this morning's scripture passage. Our sermon title is the second, this is the second sermon in our series, The Consolation of Christ. And this sermon is called What Jesus Says About Worry. And our reading is from Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, As we get into this message, I just want to say hello uh, to all you at Cool Springs. I miss you. Uh, Looking forward to the day when we can gather back together again, and hopefully that will be sooner than later. Uh, But I'm excited about this sermon series that we're in, that we get to walk through this time where we're focusing on uh, the words of Jesus, speaking to uh, the things that stir us up, uh, the things where we need consolation, things that are happening in our lives right now. Um, because of what's happening in the world. And so we're focusing today on worry or anxiety. And out here at the beginning, I just wanted to mention that this one is, is, is something I'm very familiar with. I'm a person who uh, battles with anxiety uh, and have for some time. Uh, it comes and it goes, uh, but it is, uh, it's, it's something that's a part of my life. And uh, Uh, something I've had some treatment for uh, in the past. And so if you're watching this and you're a person who uh, struggles with things like anxiety and depression and things like that, just just know that uh, you're not alone in that. And that the words that I'm going to preach today from this passage have been profoundly comforting to me um, as a person who uh, these, these words are aimed at me. And so uh, I wanted to start by, by saying that we're going to look today at a rule that Jesus gives us in scripture. And that rule is do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry. And so 
that's what we're going to unpack. Jesus giving us a command. Do not worry. He's not suggesting it's probably not a good idea to worry. He's saying do not worry. Be not afraid. Don't be anxious about anything. Have you ever heard of a game called Calvin Ball? Calvin Ball is a game that was invented by the comic book characters Calvin and Hobbes. And you may be wondering, how is Calvin Ball played? I am so glad you asked. There are official rules, and I have written some of them down. Um, the official rules, all of which may be changed or dismissed or amended by any player at any time, include the following. Calvin Ball should be played on a well-sized field, preferably with trees and rocks and grass and creeks and other natural hindrances to your health. In Calvin Ball, any player may declare a new rule at any point in the game, and the player may do this audibly or silently. In Calvin Ball, a player may use the Calvin Ball in any way that the player sees fit, from casual injury to self-reward. Penalties may be distributed in the form of pain, embarrassment, or any other abasement the offended party deems fit to impose on his opponent. And finally, Calvin Ball games may never be played the same way twice. Doesn't that sound fun? We often come to scripture like we might come to a game of Calvin Ball. And what I mean by that is we know there are rules. But what we might struggle to understand is how do those rules relate to each other? Or what are they ultimately after? That can be hard to see sometimes. Like why in the Old Testament were people not allowed to eat bacon. I don't understand that. It makes me sad for people. What's the point? What's going on with that? Listen, we live in a relativistic culture. And in a relativistic culture, one of the things, and this is very familiar, you'll, you'll have heard this language, but we're encouraged to make our own truth, to find our own truth, right? We use this term, you have your truth, I have my truth. We're, we're told to, to make our own truth, and then we're told to trust in the truth that we've made to fulfill the deepest longings of our hearts. And when that's the way that we live, where I have my truth, you have your truth, when we, when we live this way, what we end up having to do is we have to count what it is that we believe as not being anything more than just one viable option among many other equal options. I have my truth, you have your truth. Who's to say that either are wrong, even if they contradict each other? When everybody has their own truth, life can feel like Calvin Ball. Like you're just making this up as you go. Other people are playing a similar game, but you don't really know the rules they're playing by, but you're playing together. Nothing needs to connect, and you really shouldn't expect it to. And we can read scripture through this lens that it's just this random collection of ways to see the world and God is just out there someone saying, I'm particular about things and there's things I want you to do because that's the way I like it. And so we, we would see God as somebody who is saying, just follow my random set of rules because that's the way I like it. And in the end, you will receive a reward and that reward will be eternity in heaven. 
But what if? What if God's commands are not random? What if they are in fact given because the world is a place of order and design where our deepest desire, that desire to be known and loved at the same time, is a desire that we actually have the hope of seeing fulfilled. This is the driving theme of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, from which we draw today's scripture text. Jesus is teaching us there is a kingdom where God is the king over that kingdom. And it's a kingdom where we, as his people, as his followers, will live with him forever as his children. So we will live in God's kingdom as his sons and as his daughters. And there's absolutely nothing random about how we're meant to live as citizens there. And so when Jesus gives us a rule, he isn't just telling us what a particular God prefers. He's telling us what the kingdom that we were meant to inhabit for all eternity is actually like. And so in this sermon, Jesus gives us this rule, do not worry. Worry doesn't fit with a citizen, an heir to the kingdom of God. Do not worry. And then he tells us why we shouldn't worry. And the answer is that worry will give you nothing. And so I want to unpack this passage and walk through how Jesus frames this because he's talking about worry and anxiety here, but he uses topics like money to get into the subject. He, he, he uses that. And that, it makes sense because a leading cause of worry is financial, um, especially right now. We, we received a, a letter from our... Um, from the company that holds our retirement fund. And it was a, a letter basically telling us how to prepare ourselves for our next um, retirement fund statement. And so, so they're preparing us to not collapse in on ourselves with worry by sending us this letter ahead of time because worry can, money can be one of those things that leads to, to worry. And we're gonna actually talk about money and provision and wealth next week in a separate message, but here it, it factors in because it's connected to, to money. So Jesus begins by saying this. He says, nobody can serve two masters. Is this another Calvin ball rule? Is this just another arbitrary thing? Or is there a reason? There's a reason and Jesus gives one. He says this, what'll happen is you will end up hating one and loving the other. You'll be devoted to one and you will despise the other. And then he says, you can't serve both God and money. Now notice the power that Jesus is ascribing to money here if we make it our master. He says money, the love of money, serving money, will actually lead you to hate God. It leads you to hate God. You may say, I would never do that. Like Simon Peter, when Jesus says, you will deny me, all of you will deny me. And Simon Peter said, I would never do that. You may say, I would never do that. I would never hate God. But let me, let me ask the, the question. Have you ever raised your fist in anger, literally or figuratively? Have you ever raised your fist in anger at God over money? 
Maybe it's an unexpected debt. Maybe your car breaks down and you get that call from the mechanic who tells you what this is going to cost. Or maybe there was a theft. You ever done that? Have you ever responded to God in anger over something financial? I know that I have. What's that about? What is that about? Have you considered that maybe what we're feeling in those moments is an allegiance? What we're feeling in those moments is an allegiance to wealth. And when our felt right to have plenty is violated, we presume, well, life isn't working the way that it's supposed to work. And then we turn that disappointment to the one that we believe is in charge of this life, to God, as though he has somehow failed because we are feeling the disappointment of things not working financially the way that we want them to. And so when a person who believes in God feels this, we can't just conclude that life isn't working properly. Why not? Because we believe there's an author to life, which then forces us to conclude It isn't just that life isn't working properly. It's that God isn't working properly. Do you see it? You see it? That suddenly a love of money has led us to disapprove of God. To judge him based on what we think we need. And this is how loving money leads to hating God. God, you did not do financially for me. What is so plain to me the right thing you should have done. And so rather than receiving from your hand what you have to give me, I'm angry with you for failing me. Jesus is saying, look, if you love money, it's going to be hard for you to love God too. Not just in how you feel about God, but also it's going to be hard for you to receive from him what he actually has for you. And that is really at the heart of worry and anxiety, isn't it? Is, is it's difficult to receive from God what he actually has for us in this moment. And we don't just do this with money. We do this with expectations for how life is supposed to go. We have a sense of security. And this is all being tested right now, isn't it? On a global scale, the world is facing something that no one living right now has experienced in this way. And our sense of security and the rhythm that we're used to living in, all of that is being shaken up and tested. And we're feeling it. What is it that drives us to trust in things more than God? Jesus tells us, worry. Worry is what drives you to look to other things to give you something that it can't. But then he goes on to say, Don't be anxious about your life. God will take care of you. This is what God does. God takes care of his creation. And then what follows just drips with mercy. It drips with mercy. Jesus has a way of saying very pointed, hard things and wrapping them up in such profound mercy and tenderness. On what basis can we trust God to care for us? Jesus says, you can trust God to care for you on the grounds that he cares for the birds and the flowers. And we are much more precious to him than those are. 
This can be hard, especially when we recognize that Jesus is not here talking about God providing luxury. What he's saying is that God will provide what you need. Specifically, what Jesus teases out is he says, God will give you what you need in terms of food, in terms of shelter, in terms of clothing. In other words, God will meet your basic needs. He will give you your basic essentials. Daily bread, we pray for in the Lord's prayer. Uh, which the older I get, the more I wish sometimes in my sinful nature that it wasn't daily bread that we were asking the Lord to give us, but was more along the lines of monthly bread or yearly bread or forecasting out seven years bread, daily bread. Because it's the love of God that compels him to keep us in a posture of dependence on him. But these basic essentials, these are what we're to trust God for. And if these, Jesus says, then everything else that God intends for you to have will follow as well. God doesn't struggle to provide. And what he's saying about worry is these things that you need most in life, food, shelter, clothing, provision, basic provision, worry can't give any of them. Worry can't deliver any of these things to you. Worry, Jesus says, will fail you. And I want to tease out three reasons why that Jesus mentions here in this passage. That worry cannot deliver anything, that it can't give us anything, that it will fail us because worry is foolish or or simple-minded. Worry is idolatrous and worry is dishonest. I'm going to go through these quickly, but but those are the points. First, worry is foolish or simple-minded. Foolish in the biblical sense of the word. Behind our tendency to worry lies a belief. No matter how well thought through the belief is, no matter how much we may have articulated to ourselves that this is what we believe, behind worry is a belief. And the belief is this, that we should be able to control what happens. Worry is things not going the way we think they should or the way we want them to. And this is foolishness. Jesus asks the question, what can you add to your life by worrying? I love that question. It's so plain. What can, what can it give you? What can you add to your life by worrying? The brilliance of this question lies in how it exposes worry's inability to change anything while also noting that we have this foolish tendency to think that feeling a feeling And acting in response to that feeling can somehow bring about external change that has nothing to do with that feeling. Jesus says this is simple-minded. You can't add a minute to your life by worrying. You just can't. Nor can you worry provision into existence. One scholar said that the foolishness of worry is this. It accomplishes nothing except to put God out of the picture. And this leads us to the next reason why worry fails us is that worry is idolatrous. Beneath simple folly lies a much deeper evil when it comes to worry. Worry indicates an allegiance, an allegiance to a false God by revealing a commitment of the heart to personal worldly security that runs so deep that it rules your emotional and spiritual life to the extent that you judge God which we wouldn't do unless we presumed some superiority over him. We wouldn't judge God in our hearts if we didn't presume some measure of superiority over him. 
Scripture doesn't promise us an easy life. On the contrary, Scripture, there are many verses in Scripture that indicate just the opposite. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. One of my professors in seminary, Dan Doriani, he said this. He says, Jesus promises God's care, not a carefree life. Pursuing a carefree life when we're not promised a carefree life can be a strong indicator that we are rebelling against the lordship of Jesus. Instead of living to serve him, instead we want him to serve us. And really, that's the heartbeat of idolatry, right? The heartbeat of idolatry is to interact with a God in such a way that that God gives you something. And this is the demand that worry makes. The demand worry makes is, God, you must serve me. And that's idolatrous. And third, worry is not just foolish and idolatrous, but worry is dishonest. Our culture tells us that if we feel something, then it must be true. But when Jesus tells us not to worry, he's telling us, don't nurture every emotion that comes into your heart and mind. In other words, he's saying, and this is really radical, especially in our time. Jesus is saying we are accountable before God for how we nurture and yield to our emotion. What we do with our feelings, God cares about and he speaks into. Why? Why does he, why does he care about this? Why, why are we accountable before God for how we nurture and yield to emotion? Well, because not all emotion is telling us the truth. Worry tells us a simple lie. Fear right now doesn't tell us the truth. Many of us right now are struggling with fear. Uh, it's, it, it, for, for, for some, it, it can be overpowering for us. And there's a voice behind that fear that is telling us, casting doomsday scenario and causing us to lean into despair. But that doesn't mean what it's telling us is true. Uh, the J.R.R. Tolkien scholar Patrick Curry said this about despair, and it also applies very perfectly to worry as well. But here's what he said. He said, despair is for people who know, despair, despair is for people who know beyond any doubt what the future is going to bring. And nobody is in that position. So despair is not only a kind of sin theologically, but it is also a simple mistake, he says, because nobody actually knows. And in that sense, there is always hope. End quote. So worry insists, listen, certain things are going to happen. And those things that worry is insisting are going to happen, we have really no honest way of knowing are going to happen. And so in this sense, it is dishonest for us to consume ourselves with worry as though those things we fear are inevitable. Because what do we know? So what should we do instead? This is what I want to conclude with. You have only ever had one provider. You've only ever had one provider. So what should we do instead of worry? Jesus tells us here in this passage, he says to embrace the connection between God's call not to worry and his promise that he is king over our lives 
and the kingdom to which we belong. So he calls us not to worry and he promises that he is king over his kingdom and the kingdom to which we belong. Seek first his kingdom, everything else will follow. The basis of the Sermon on the Mount is that believers are not citizens of this world as it is. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. And to Jesus, this is not just Bible speak. This is not just a metaphor. Jesus means it. He means it when he says, you're not citizens of this world. You're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Our citizenship is not with this world. It really is with God in Christ. And it shall be for all eternity. Our citizenship in the kingdom of God is not like the sticker that Theo received on his visit to the fire station, the little sticker that said junior firefighter. What they're doing is they're pretending Theo is one of them. They're pretending because he's there in that moment visiting them that he is among their ranks as a junior member. That is not what our citizenship in heaven is. God is not pretending. He's not messing around. Our citizenship in his kingdom carries greater validity than any passport you've ever held with your name on it. And it guarantees more rights and it delivers more eternal security than anything this world could ever give you or promise. That can be hard to trust. It can be hard to trust when we're looking at things like pandemics, when we're looking at things like global economies teetering. What we have to remember is our perspective on things is so limited. It's so limited. There's so much that we can't see. And one of those things that we just can't see in full is specifically how God is right now presently at work taking better care of us than he does the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. Because guess what? He loves us more than them. God doesn't tell us not to worry because it's annoying. He tells us not to worry because he really does have us covered. In ways we can't imagine, he is taking care of everything we need. You have a provider. I have a provider. We really do. And here's the thing about him. He is the maker and the sustainer of the universe. That's the provider we have. He doesn't just feed the birds and clothe the flowers. He made the birds and he made the flowers and he made us and he loves us more. And he's not the only provider we've ever had. He is also the only provider we ever will have. So all of the things that you might look to to assuage your anxiety and your worry, your spouse, your ambition, your work ethic, your inheritance, your lottery ticket, the success of your children, these things have never been able to provide for you. God alone takes care of you. Now, he uses means to do it. He uses all those things. The income of a partner, ability, talent, jobs, percentages of growth, on investments, those sorts of things. He uses those, but he is the provider and he loves you. Now, you may be wondering, okay, but when is God going to come through for me? 
That may be the, the counter that you're feeling to this. It's the promise that God is your provider. You've only ever had one provider. He takes care of you just like more than he takes care of the birds and the flowers. And you may be feeling, okay, so then when? And if that's how you're feeling, I want to ask if you're, if you're able to, to receive a loving word of correction. Has God not already come through for us? Has he not already, if he were to give us nothing more, has he not already come through for us? Consider what he has given. He has given us his word to guide us, to correct us, to encourage us, to build us up. He has given us this gift of his word to us. Do we spend time with it? He's given us his son, Jesus, who paid the penalty for our sin in full, offering himself on the cross, defeating death in our place. Do we spend time with him? Because he has not withheld even his son. He has given us his Holy Spirit to live inside all who believe, empowering us to live as his followers by his grace and for his glory. He is present and living and active with every believer every moment of our lives until we enter into his kingdom. What could he have possibly withheld that we still lack? He has given us so much and what he's given us has eternal endurance. And so maybe the question to ask is, where, where do you seek personal security? Jesus tells us not to worry, and then he tells us why. You're more precious to God than the birds and the flowers. And worry will fail you. Are you desperate for help? Seek first his kingdom and God's righteousness through the means he's given, through scripture, through prayer, through believing friends, through worship, and everything else, food, shelter, clothing, and everything else will come. He gives the birds what they need, and he loves you more. He gives the flowers, he adorns them, and you're more beautiful to him than all the flowers in the world. And so when the world cries worry, don't. Because it's, it's simple-minded it's idolatrous, and it's dishonest. All you have needed, his hand hath provided. Great is his faithfulness. To him be the glory. Let me pray. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to believe, not just in a future deposit of provision, but in the one that you've already given us, the amazing provision we have in the finished work of Christ on our behalf in the indwelling Holy Spirit and the living and active word of God that we have access to and the ability to pray and the ability to walk through this life alongside others who love you and seek to serve and glorify you. Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, we pray for those who are battling anxiety and worry right now. Lord, I ask that you would bring comfort to the heart uh, I ask that you would um, lift anxious hearts uh, out of the shadow um, and give us the ability to, to trust in you. And not only that, but to delight in you and to marvel at the beauty and the wonder of your work 
in our lives. Uh, Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness. Bring us back together very, very soon, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a couple of quick things before we uh, conclude. One is love to see your faces on social media. So if you have been following along um, and you are uh, using the live stream or you're just taking in the sermon in, in some way, we'd love to just, just hear from you. And you can uh, just use the hashtag uh, CPC Nashville online on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, any, any of the social media platforms you use, just post it there, and then everybody else who's using that hashtag will also be able to see, uh, and it's really good. If you could see right now, I'm standing in the sanctuary, and about the first, I would say, maybe the first 10 rows um, are covered in photos, in pictures, printed out pictures of of members of the congregation of Christ Presbyterian Church, and it's really kind of fun to see. I've preached several sermons now in this room, uh, and it's been empty, and now I'm preaching in this room, and it's uh, it's still basically empty, but I'm looking at a couple hundred faces, and it's pretty great. So, um, all right, and also, uh, don't forget, uh, if you um, have not signed up to give online, uh, that is a great way for you to give if giving uh, is something that is, is part of your ongoing uh, relationship with the church. And if this is your church home, it should be, um, that, that you can sign up to give. Uh, you can click on the give button on the live stream page right there. Uh, we're moving further and further away. Just before even this pandemic hit, we're moving further and further away from uh, cash and checks, um, people doing most of their their uh, financial life on online. And, and so if you click on that give button, it'll walk you through a process that you can set up um, on your own terms for, for what that would look like. But if you if want to direct you to that as the ministries of this church uh, continue on. And then finally, here's the benediction. We'll close with the benediction and then I'll sing the doxology to you and with you. And I invite you to sing along. Um, this is a special part of our services at Cool Springs, I know for me. Uh, is closing with the doxology. And even though I can't hear the lush um, wall of sound and harmony that I get in that uh, junior ballroom at the Embassy Suites, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thought uh, to me to know that you're harmonizing out there. So uh, hear the Lord's benediction. Raise your hearts and your hands uh, from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus our Lord, to whom belongs glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. See you soon. I love you.